What's going on, everybody? Thank you for joining us. This is Casa Conversations. My name is Aaron. You can find me at Armed Atlas on Instagram and the other YouTube channel. Let's go ahead and get started. Welcome to Costly Conversations. I'm super excited because we have Trey with us today. Now, let's go ahead and bring him in and uh, say hello to Trey. What's up? How's everybody doing? Oh, I don't know if you can see me or not. There we go. Um, if you don't know, my name is Trey. I run the Now I'm Good Fan podcast. Um, I'm super appreciative that I'm here today. Um, I've been watching this dude for a while, so it's crazy that I'm finally on the show now. <laughs> well... Thank you so much, Trey. And just a quick order of business. If you are watching the show, if you've been watching and you appreciate this kind of content, the best way to support is to join up on Patreon. From five bucks all the way up to however much you want to spend, you can support shows like this, specifically this show, Costly Conversations. And of course, we're trying out some new merch. So we're trying to see if it's any good. If you guys like this kind of stuff, let me know in the comments. Quick note, if you have a question for Trey or myself throughout this conversation, go ahead and type Q and then colon, and I'll be able to uh, save those questions for the Q&A. If there's something on your mind that you just got to fire in like right away, go ahead and shoot that in there. Just type Q and then colon, and I'll be able to save those questions to the side for when it's time for the Q&A. We'll be able to answer all those questions expeditiously. Now, on to the show. What is going on, man? It's good to have you on here, brother. What's up, bro? Man, I'm, I'm excited to have you on. I know you I know you said it's, oh, it's an honor to be on. It's an honor to have you on. Thank you for coming on the show. Man, I I, I appreciate you having me. Like I said, it's, uh, it's, it, this is dope. What you do is dope. Your platform is, is, is beyond what most people do right now. So I really appreciate you having me on. Yes, sir. Well... Thank you for your kind words. Don't ever want to let good, strong feedback like that um, go go by the wayside. Thank you for saying that. Um, but I, I just want to just jump right in, man. Let's jump right in. Um, you, the host of the Not I'm Good Fan podcast, I've kind of known about you for a while. You know, we've communicated back and forth. I think what you do, what you're doing, is really cool, especially the most recent episode. Let's talk about that. Because in the most recent episode, it's it's kind of been, um, for a lack of better terms, your uh, your return. I mean, that's right. that's the name of the episode, right? Right. <laughs> right. Um, absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I had to take a break from just everything, like just social media, podcasting, just life. Like not well, not life, but just you know, just being extra. And I had to do more uh, of an internal focus. Um, make sure that I was right, both mentally and emotionally, physically, all that, mostly mentally. Um, because, you know, for a while, it was a little shaky. Yeah. Not gonna lie. Um, yeah. But I, when I decided to come back, um, it was mostly like at the behest of my therapist. Um, yeah. Cause she was like, you've, you've built this cocoon around yourself to keep everything out. Yeah. You can't live like that. So, Time to bust out that cocoon, get back to life, get back to what you were doing, so you can get yourself back on schedule. And uh, I listened, and it, it worked. Um, it very much so worked for me. 
absolutely. Now, regards to the return, where did that where did that um, that name come from? The the name of the most recent episode of your of your show, the return. Because in in the past it was other things like I know one episode was called Blue Collar. This one's called The Return, but let's just jump into that really quick, and then we'll get into some more serious questions. Um, honest answer. Uh, my favorite song is The Return of the Mac, and I was like, you know what? If I'm gonna come back, I'm gonna come back with a bang, right? I'm gonna open the show with that song. It's the, in my opinion, is the most popular song ever. Everybody knows that song. Um, but then I was like, with the subject matter of the show maybe not the best option to start high and then immediately tank um because you know the the episode is a little not dark but it's very personal um yeah i, w- I would say so i would say it's extremely personal in the sense that for for anybody who's paying attention this is talking about you this is talking about grief this is talking about loss maybe some depression, if, if you want to call it that. Um, definitely um, the truth about mental health. Mm-hmm. And and so, yeah, I, I respect your decision not to just jump right in with uh, Return of the Mac. I mean, it's a dope song, but maybe maybe not appropriate for, right. for just the, the overall mood, you know. Um, but I know I, I had some questions specifically kind of talking about early on in the podcast, you, you mentioned actually being working in law enforcement mm-hmm. and you had an interaction with a homeless man that um, I was, I was hurt when you, when you described it, I was like, dang, it's re- it's like that though. It's like that. Bro, you have no idea. Yeah. So mm-hmm. uh, homeless individual, right? It was a simple call. It was a guy loitering. They just wanted him to leave. They didn't want nobody to go to jail. They didn't want nobody to get hurt. They just wanted him to leave. So, I go to make him leave. Um, I just tell him like, "Hey, man, you can't be here. You got to gather your stuff. You got to press on, right?" Um, he didn't take it well, uh, to say the least, and he starts berating me, calling me all kind of names, blah blah blah. Typically, I just let that stuff roll off my back like it's nothing, because to me, it's just you know, I inconvenienced this person, so clearly, they're not happy with me. So they're gonna say these things, and that's cool. Not a problem. Um, then he made a comment that basically said, you know, because you wear that badge and that gun, you know, you ain't no different. You just made it from the field to the house, which is, you know, a slave reference. Yeah. Um, because, you know, supposedly, uh, house slaves are treated better than field slaves, but at the end of the day, you're still a slave. Right. Um, and in my mind, I'm like, yo, that's why would you say that to somebody? Because my job is, you know, keeper of the peace, defender of the public. Like, not, I'm not a slave to anybody. Like, law enforcement with the choice. Could did something else if I wanted to. I had other options, but because of how I was brought up and the people around me, helping others in that capacity was like a path that was made easy for me yeah and that was just a crazy statement especially because like i'm not i'm not from the south i'm originally from california 
and I grew up in New York. Like, so to make a slave reference to someone who's not really in the know, it's kind of crazy. And two, um, later on in life, I found out that, you know, my lineage in this country did start with someone coming off a boat. Yeah. So um, I'm like, that's, it was hurtful. Cause I'm like, man, you and I are on this, this is an older black male. And as far as I'm concerned, he and I are on the same team. You know, this, this job that I lend my time to in exchange for money doesn't define me. Just the job. It's how you pay the oh, bills. Man, I love that. The job that so, you, you lend your time to doesn't yeah. define you. No, not at all. Um, and that's a lot of things that people just don't understand that the nine to five is just a nine to five. It's not everything. It's just the place that you go because you live in a capitalist society. You got to pay money for things. I need money. They got money. So I do the job. They give me the money. It's real simple. I'm not out here trying to oppress people. Like yeah. there's no, you can't live like that. No, you yeah. can't, you can't live like that at all. So no. I'm just in my mind. I'm like, man, this is, this is nuts. This is uncalled for really. And that actually that, that ruined my shift. Cause that was the second call up that day. So it's like very beginning of the shift. And I'm like, man, this is nuts. This is nuts. And then it just stuck with me. I, I never let it go for a long time. Yeah, brother. I mean, I I heard that. And like I mentioned earlier, I was personally hurt. I was like, yeah. dang, this man who, who, doesn't, who doesn't know a thing about you, knows mm -hmm. nothing about you, would kind of associate you with more than just it, it's a job. I mean... Clearly, um, there's there's a big conversation around uh, statism and becoming kind of a, a cog in the machine. There's a huge right. conversation around that. But for you, knowing that you you know the good man that you are and your your, your focus, that clearly I know that's hurtful. It's hurtful to me and it's it's hurtful to a lot of people. But I suppose it 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 sparked a question in you, didn't it, regarding kind of what it really means to to do your job and it, it later on in the podcast you you kind of said that you started to hate the job more or less yeah um because it well like i said about the first thing i'm not here to oppress anybody but that became the job like oh oppressing people for really menial to no reason became the job because you know the call comes in the dispatcher Dispatcher issues out officer, you go assess the situation, do what needs to be done. And people started to weaponize law enforcement against yeah. other people for no real reason. Um, and that's where my problem started because I would go to these calls. Man, I remember one, it was just it was literally three black guys standing out in front of their building where they live in their neighborhood. And a woman who lives in the building across the street called and said that she swears to God. I never forget this because that's what the dispatcher said to me. She said she swears to God they're outside dealing dope. And I was like, okay. Well, these are the most common dope dealers I've ever seen because I pulled up and they nobody scattered, nobody ran, nobody reacted. Um, I talked to them, let them go. They weren't doing nothing wrong. They were just people standing outside. They live there. Like, it's not loitering. I'm where I live. Like, 
it, it and it became that over and over and over and over and over. And I'm like, man, this is not what I signed up for. This is not like the integrity behind the badge was gone for me. Yeah. Wow. Um, because I, I wasn't behind the badge. Yeah. I wasn't protecting the servant. I was harassing folks, like because someone called about it. And I have to go at least see what's going on. Now, I know you, you mm -hmm. said you, you felt like you were shifting from protecting your servant to harassing folks. What mm -hmm. particular actions kept you up at night that you were put in a position to do? Um, mostly dealing with younger people. And my younger people, I would say an age range from like 16 to 22. Um, because they aren't the most compliant people, yeah. uh, especially if they don't understand the reason as to why they're being approached. And a lot of people are real shifty nowadays, they get real defensive. Uh, their fight or flight is gone, now it's just fight. Um, and so I, oftentimes having to deal with young people, they would just assume I was there to do them wrong when really my the first stage of my job is to assess the situation. Yeah. So I can't assess if as soon as I walk up on you, you one, start swinging on me, or two, you start calling me all these kind of names. Of course, cell phone comes out there because everything gets recorded now. Um, and then you start to antagonize. And now, not only do I have to do my job, but I understand that optic. I understand what it looks like. And it can be something simple, yeah. but now it's viewed as, oh, this, he's harassing me, blah, 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 just because I'm black, which was the worst one. I hated that. Because um, like I said, <laughs> we're all on the same team here. Uh, but it, it just it just becomes, it, it, it became just so, like it's, this, is, this is law enforcement. This is it's just harassment, honestly. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of it started because I'll tell you about my first week. My first week on the job, a young man here in Charlotte named Keith Lamont Scott was killed by a police officer. I, I remember that name. Remember that? Mm -hmm. um, and they started to tear the city apart immediately. No one knew exactly what happened except for those in the know. But to the public, it was black man killed by cop. Yeah, tear everything down, set everything on fire, and that's that's what it became. And it, it became like people were coming from out of town to come here to do harm. That's crazy. Um, and I'm like, I understand how it looks. Honestly, it shouldn't have happened. Um, but I'm like, if this is how it's gonna be. I mean, but I was prepared. I, I was prepared for it. So I'm like, you know what? This is how it's going to be. This is how it's going to be. The people will eventually calm back down. Everything will settle out. And it just never did that. It just escalated from there. Um, continual escalation from that point. Yeah. And I'm just like, man, this is. Oh, neighbors acting crazy. Uh, I'm like, man, this is not. This is not it. It's not it. And it, and it became that every day. It became just, why am I doing this? Like, what what did you call me here for? There's no reason for me to be here. Me mm -hmm. being here escalates the situation. 
because people see law enforcement as a show of force because we carry weapons, um, you know, both lethal and non-lethal. So because they see that, you know, it, it just becomes instantly worse. And sometimes my intervention made it worse. And so I'm starting to think, why am I doing this? Like, why? Do I need to do this? I don't need to do this. But because I was still stuck in the mindset of, I chose this job because I wanted to help. I want to find a way to help. So you stick it out. Now, you stuck it out for a while. Yeah. It started to eat at you. Six years. Six exact. years. That's a long time to do anything. Yeah. You stuck it out. You you served your community six years. You did some things maybe you were not exactly comfortable with, but nothing yeah. crazy or illegal, but you would you would say. No, 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 no. Um I suppose the question would be, like, what was that breaking point for you? Because I'm assuming you're not still with the job. Oh, not at all. Absolutely not. What, what was, the, no. I guess, the last straw for you to say, like, you know what? My mental health is degrading. I need to do something different. And I know recently, or when you started the podcast, you started to have conversations with some of the people in a similar position as you, who the job mm -hmm. was degrading their their ability to to function per se. Yeah. So my breaking point really actually, um, like aside from my personal battles with mental health, the on the job part that made me just was I was done with it was I had an interaction with uh, a higher up. We call them white shirts because they wear white shirts. Um, right. But I had an interaction with a higher up and it became a, I, I honestly started to feel like I wasn't my own man anymore. Like this was me. Like this job is all that I am. And in my mind, I'm like, nah, this is not wow. it. This is not it. It was like, you know, my, I won't say his name, but supervisor basically uh, came to me about taking on an extra shift, which I always did all the time anyway. But that time I just couldn't do it. I had a personal matter to take care of. And it became a, well, if you can't dedicate yourself to the job, then we don't need you. And I was like, well, if you don't need me, bye. Because <laughs> if, you, if you're going to flat out tell me you don't need me, I'll go. Right. And that's fine. But then in the back of my mind, I'm like, yo, that's, that's a wild thing to say for someone who's been at the job more than they've been in their own home in the last six years. Someone mm -hmm. who's work doubles, work 25 hour, 26 hour shifts. Like someone who's done that for you, but you have the, like the, the craziest instincts and, and some, and the things to say to me, like, as if you own me almost the audacity. It's just like, I'm like, no, nah, bro, this is not it. No, this is not it. That on top of I'm, I'm dealing with other personal matters and it just became the perfect storm of, you know what? Step away. Just step away. Because like I said, this don't define me. No. That wasn't my life. Just a job. It's going to stay a job. It can be somebody else's job now. So. You know what? It's, like, yeah, it's, right. 
it's interesting because I don't I don't necessarily want you to get deep into this part of it, but unless you choose to, of course, the the thin blue line, which is for those who, I guess, my um my quick assessment of it, basically like this code that only police walk this thin blue line, and they it's like a brotherhood, like a, a, a like this this mesh network of people who they stick up for each other, they always have each other's back. And essentially, it becomes a situation where even if a even if something bad happens that is clearly wrong, illegal, immoral, we're going to give the, the cop a benefit of the doubt until unless everyone collectively decides that this guy is a piece of trash and um, yeah. kind of like with the Uvalde situation, 99 percent of cops were just like, this is garbage. I can't believe this happened. Um, but some, even even still, some retired guys were like, well, y'all don't know the situation and no one wants to die. And it's like, okay. Kind of what you signed up for. This is the thin blue line. <laughs> but it's, it's kind of what you signed up for, especially like in the, in the Uvalde situation. Yeah. Um, like I've been in situations where like I literally had to, had to pet myself up to be like, you know, you, you you walk in, you walk out. That's what I kept telling myself. You walk in, you walk out. You walk in, you walk out. If you don't walk out, that's what you signed up for. Yeah. Like you, there's it, a reason we carry weapons and stuff. The job's dangerous. Like it's, it's not the easiest thing to do. So I, you know, me and my guys on my shift, we would always just have that talk. Like, look, back each other up, no matter what especially if it's a life or death situation because like i said walked in walking out i came in and going home yeah um even if i gotta go to the hospital first i'm going home uh now as far as like the thin blue line thing to me that's just seen as uh yeah i think that's like a depending on the person type situation. Sure. Because for me, all that really meant was I'm going to do everything I can to make sure the guys on my shift make it home. Like nobody's going anywhere alone. Um, nobody is running the risk of dying for just no reason. Even if it's a noise complaint, you're not going by yourself. Because you can knock on that door and I can never hear from you again. That's true. So, anything could happen. Right. Anything could happen. I mean, I can't remember exactly where it was, but I, I remember watching a video. Female officer takes a noise complaint, knocks on the door. Guy opens the door, shotgun, right away. Golly. On a noise complaint. A noise complaint. A simple knock, hey, can you turn it down? And then you walk away. On a noise complaint. And now she never see her family ever again. Right. So the thin blue line for me really just meant, hey, I got to make sure my people on my shift are straight all the time. Like, because at the end of the day, we act and respond as a team. Like, we're brothers on shift. Like, these are my guys. That's my bro. I'm going to treat them like my bro. You know, you, you ride or die for them, you know? Literally, like, ride or die. Yeah, I mean, when you when you're in a position like that, I can I can understand 
having to have that mentality, especially, I mean, you look at guys who go overseas, you look at guys who have to deal with things domestically in, in a law enforcement mode. And I hope no one misunderstands me that I'm some sort of like anti-law enforcement guy because I, I take issue with this um, thin blue line uh, mentality when it comes to egregious acts. Um, but kind of kind of moving forward, because I, I don't want us to get stuck in, in this one part of the conversation. I know we, you know, you stayed on the job during the, the George Floyd situation. Um, was there a lady who, who also came up to you? I, I believe I remember that part in the, in the episode where yeah, a lady uh, came up to you. Yeah, a younger black woman. Yeah. She came up to me, um, basically told me that I should be ashamed of myself for carrying, uh, for wearing the badge, wearing the uniform, carrying, carrying my, my tools at the service. Um, and doing the job because basically she just put my, my, my blackness in question. Yeah. Um, because apparently black people can't be police officers. Um, guess not as a wild, wild statement to make. So yeah. to me, I'm like, yo, why do I need to be ashamed? I'm here to help you. People forget that people forget the majority of a police officer's life on the job is finding the wrongdoer in the situation, bringing them to justice. Right. Now, um, as, as many people know on this show, we often talk about Second Amendment issues, um, mm -hmm. being your first responder, self-defense, and things like that. This conversation is not really geared towards that necessarily, but really quickly, we can could, talk you, about could, could, we, could we just address the 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 concept of, of being your first own first responder. I mean, as somebody who is literally a first responder for many years, and I'm going to assume you, you ran upon a few issues that were more or less resolved, maybe unresolved in the sense where the person who had the issue, say if somebody was killed, somebody was stabbed, somebody was beat up. It's already happened. It's already over. Mm. Yeah. Let's talk about that a little bit. Um, well, it's funny you say that. This podcast was originally supposed to, like the non Get Mad podcast, not your yeah. show, um, was originally supposed to be a pro-black two-way show. Um, <laughs> That's funny. Actually, this is an original piece of non Get Mad merch. Um, there's two-way on it. <laughs> because that's what that's what it was supposed to be about. The name yeah. came from a conversation I was having with um, about four or five young black guys. They were maybe between the eighteen, like ages of eighteen to twenty-one. They didn't understand the concept of procuring a firearm the legal way, because in their situations, it's always been you know shady, you know, cash in hand serial number scraped off, that kind of thing, you know? Yeah. So I told him, like, it's a real simple situation. First thing you need to do is keep yourself clean. Can't go to jail. Can't be a felon. Can't have these, these kind of issues going on in your life. Live as clean as you possibly can. Live right if you can, uh, depending yeah. on what your definition of right is. Um, and, you know, I talked him through the steps here where I live in Mecklenburg County. It's real simple. You go to the sheriff's department get a purchase permit take that to your gun store exchange that for the weapon um 
which is real simple, you know? Yeah. No. Um, but there have been a few situations where I roll up, man standing there with a weapon in hand, and that's all I see. Apartment complex pool party. Apparently, uh, there was a situation where two males had began fighting. Um, at some point, a male went to his vehicle, procured a weapon, came back. Um, the other male who had not procured a weapon literally fought for his life, right? Um, resulting in him taking the gun from the other individual. He didn't kill him because he realized that because he had procured his weapon, the other guy's unarmed situation could go left if he had shot and killed him. Um, so we ran cameras back and that's exactly what we saw. He procured the dude's weapon. He pointed it at him and the dude ran off. So when I arrived, I see a guy with gun in hand. No one else is around. He doesn't give me any trouble. Doesn't even point it at me. He sits it down. I ask him what happened. He tells me what, what, what he tells me exactly what went on. And I'm like, okay, well, first thing I said was, I'm glad you stopped where you stopped. Because yeah. had you kept going, your life's in a tailspin now. Because even though he was the aggressor, now that you have the weapon, you're the aggressor. Right. Situation changes. So a lot of people, you know, don't really understand that it can go left real fast. Um, especially if you think that you're in the right when really sometimes you're not. Um, so one question that I have, and, and thank you for, for sharing that story with us. One question that I have is when, when the young lady um, accused you of, of being some sort of killer cop, how dare you be an officer, especially as a, as a black man. Um, something that I've, I've, I've considered, especially as you kind of, you kind of look at situations across the U S some of the disparities, some of the, some of the questions and some of the, some of the pain um, is shouldn't more black and brown individuals, minorities join the police force, especially in areas that are heavily minority so that yes. we can kind of eliminate some of the, some of the, that friction where it's like, Oh, uh, it's a bunch of white dudes beating mm -hmm. up on a bunch of, you know, minority black Latino and otherwise kids. And that's just is what it is. There's no cultural connection. There's no understanding amongst the people. There's just this rift that keeps getting bigger because there's socioeconomic things. And now you guys have a whole uh, gang of state sanctioned dudes who can come in and literally kill you. And if they yes. can justify it, they'll get away with it. Or even if they can't justify it. Uh, because sometimes <laughs> a lot of it's not justified. A lot of it's like, what are you, what are you thinking? That's a bad shoot, but they get away. Um, yeah. now I'm not saying everybody should be locked up, but if you do wrong, should be a punishment in hand. Right. Um, but yes, I think the people who live in the community, not, not, not necessarily live in the community, people who look like the community should police the community because it makes things easier. It smooths out situations when someone who looks like me is the person who's there to help or save me or the person who's there to reprimand me from doing wrong or at least start the reprimanding process because you know police don't they don't assign jail terms things like that they just take you to the jail after that 
here in their hands. But I honestly think that um, I've had situations like that. I could I tell you most of my, well, well, the entirety of my shift that I worked with for every year except for one was all white except for me. Yeah. So they would have a situation that required me because they got there immediately. They getting cussed, yelled at, crack of what you doing here, blah, 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 blah. So they would call me. And the second I pulled up, everything was smoothed out. Now it would be a problem because everyone would bum rush me to try to tell me exactly what happened because they'd rather talk to me than talk to them. Because they just assume because they showed up, I'm going to jail or they're going to shoot me and get away with it. Or they're going to, you know, they're going to brutalize me. I may be unrecognizable by the time they're done. Because a lot of people do fear that. Mm. Um, but I honestly do think more black and brown individuals should be policing the areas that they live in, that they're, that the people are more comfortable with them being in. Um, just because it, it's, it, it makes the process easier. It smooths everything out. It makes it so, you know, it's not so much hostility at the beginning point of the situation. Yeah. Because those situations turn into conflicts and then that's when things get bad. Doesn't need to be a conflict. Yeah. A lot of times things can be handled with a conversation. Well, I I hundred percent agree. And there there have been so many when you when you look at like body cams and stuff, there've been so many situations mm -hmm. where you see, you know, police responding to somebody's walking around with a knife, speed up to the you know, sidewalk sixty miles an hour, slam on brakes, barrel roll out. I'm I'm exaggerating about the barrel roll. And then no, you're not. they they see they see a, a <laughs> no, little glint of something in the hand. Guns out, drop, drop the weapon. Mm -hmm. It's it's actually a cell phone. They were recording. You know, cell phone doesn't get dropped, hands don't go up. People are confused because they were literally not in the wrong. So why would they feel like the police should be addressing them? Cell phone right. doesn't get dropped, and all of a sudden, you know, 20 rounds um from each of the officers, 60 rounds fired. And we're like, 60 rounds? Who reloaded? That's the one like, thing. That's the one thing I always hated is is the for lack of better words, overkill. Uh, that doesn't need to happen. Like, yeah, you and I, I'm, I'm, I'm almost certain you've taken a self defense class. We've both taken the self defense classes. We've both mm -hmm. always told to, you know, deal with the threat to us, eliminate it. Right. right. Stop. Stop the threat. That, right. That doesn't mean mag dump into this individual twice. Right. Like there's no human walking around that needs to get mag dumped in twice, especially when the threat is not even really known. Right. Because like, like in those situations where, you know, the cops are rolling up on somebody, you frighten this person now. So now their initial reaction is to run away from you or fight back. Right. Especially when, you know, like you said, you pulled up, slam on the brakes, hop out the car, gun out immediately. And all this person is doing walking down the sidewalk. Right. They have no clue what's going on. There was a, and I've, I've mentioned this before on the show, there's a situation in Baltimore where a police department was being investigated because they would see a group of kids, black kids, mm -hmm. and they would be in the cruiser, speed up to the group, slam on brakes and basically get out and see who ran and just chase them. Creating a situation where there was no situation, no crime, nothing in progress. That's, 
I mean, it's how long, how long did that go on for? Uh, a long time. This was like a common practice for this department. Now, obviously, if someone wants to fact check me on that, I take my lumps if I'm wrong. But I was listening to a uh, a news reporting program where they were reporting on this, and it was it was pretty bad. I think Baltimore PD is they struggled for a long time to do the right thing. I can I can see why if they're living like that. Yeah. I can definitely see why there's a struggle because that's insane. That's yeah. you're causing an issue. Where there is no issue. You're harassing people. Right back to my original point. Civil suit right there. You're harassing folks. Yeah. You're not doing your job. You're harassing people. It's not what you're paid to do. You're paid to be seen, try to stop or prevent crimes. Crime does happen. You do your best at the scene of the crime to gather information so that when the investigators come in, they know what they're dealing with. That's right. You're not, that's, I'm so happy I don't have that job no more, bro. Like, you have no <laughs> idea. Like, you have no idea, man. Like, no, that's, I, I, I believe it. It, it sounds crazy. like a stressful job. I've worked in special needs and different things like that with, with I've worked with children who are, like, at risk, um, kids who have emotional, intellectual disabilities. And right. when you have to go hands-on with a kid who is liable to, beat you with a chair or you know a 14 year old girl who's bigger than me i'm 5 11 30 on a good day like there's there was this one girl she was bigger than me and i was scared yeah. to deal with her because if she got right. mad you would just hope you would hope that she would just go along with you when when you had to escort her out the class because right. there's no fighting that <laughs> and, yeah that's but that's why de-escalation has to be step one yeah exactly um, and that's, that's something that we really try to focus on especially when dealing with kids who are becoming agitated is like okay we see they're getting agitated can we can we bring it down a step can we at least get them out the class before it becomes an issue and now other kids are at risk because we're in a classroom with like 10 other kids who are the same issue um, right you don't want one of them to get hurt because if they get hurt they're fighting like there's no like oh man right. it's all good they didn't mean it no they're done Anyways, um, yeah, that's, I mean, I'm not going to lie. I walked into situations where I thought I could talk everybody down. And uh, I don't know if you've ever seen like most radios. There's a little red button on top. <laughs> and if you hit that button, it kills everybody else's radio traffic and you become the primary. Right. You typically only hear that button if you need uh, a way out fast. A few times I had to hit the button because I thought I could talk these people down. Nope. Ain't no way. There's no way of talking them down. But I'm also not going to kill anybody for no reason. Right. Like, you can't pepper spray everybody. Because at some point, there's people behind you. You're spraying in front of you. One of them behind you going to get the drop on you. And that's happened to me a few times. Um, But I'll, at the end of the day, I always try to de-escalate first. Now, I've had to draw my weapon on people before. Sure. I've had to use my baton on people. Sure. Um. I think I maybe had maybe two use of forces, maybe, um, as far as like non-lethal stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and one time I had to use my weapon, but I purposely didn't kill the person. And they didn't need to die. They just need to stop doing what they were doing because it was a danger to me and them. Um, and nothing else is working. Yeah. Because um, sometimes 
OC spray don't work. Sometimes those tasers don't work. Yeah. Like, I don't know if they're high or what, but sometimes they'll catch that taser, they'll dance a little bit, but they'll rip those barbs right out and come right back at you. Um, yeah, the technology's not perfect. No, it's not. And I don't like using yeah. those things anyway. We used to call them pocket defibrillators because if I hit you the wrong way and I stop your heart, I can't start it back up again. So wow. I was like, I, I'd rather hit you with the OC spray or draw down on you and hope you stop than hit you with this. Because, I mean, it's, it doesn't happen a lot, but it can happen. Yeah. And I already had a hard enough time doing the job. I don't think I could have lived with a death uh, on my belt. Yeah. Even if it I mean, was that's, demo. I mean, that's, that's trauma in itself. And you are already dealing yeah. with a lot of mental health issues. And we're just going to pause really quickly to say thank you to everybody who's tuning in live right now. I know there's a few of you in the, in the live audience. And of course, for those of you who are live, or even if you're listening to the replay on the podcast or YouTube, please go ahead and just hit the little share button, send it out to people on Facebook. If you still use Facebook, um, you know, send it out to a few friends on Instagram. Cause we, of course we want everybody to be able to hop in and experience the show live. And we just say, thank you so much. And last but not least, go ahead. If you haven't clicked the little like button, click the like button. Cause that just sends it out to a few more people so we can make sure to, you know, let everybody come in and experience the show live. Thank you very much. Click the bell so you know when he's doing the show. That's that part too. <laughs> so, man, I appreciate you talking about that a little bit. I know it's, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, dang, like that was such a, a, a big part of your life for a long time. So I appreciate you yeah. being vulnerable and kind of sharing that. That said, I know later on, I don't know if it was while you were still on the job or later on in in your podcast, the non good, not I'm good fam podcast, you mentioned that you had a friend who was dealing with a secret addiction, substance abuse. Yeah. That was the back end of the job. Um, yeah. That was the personal part that I was dealing with along with the, uh, unsavory supervisors. Um, yeah. because with, with that situation, I was the only one who knew about his addiction. Uh, he, when he told me about it, he made a point to say, please don't tell nobody. I'm only telling you because you my homie, you my bro. We've been down for a long time. Like, you're not going to judge me. That's why I'm telling you. Because my immediate instinct wasn't judgment. My immediate instinct was, hey, man, let's get you to rehab. Like, don't worry about it. I'll pay for it. Let's get you to rehab. Wow. But he was a strong guy. So he felt... He didn't need to go to rehab. He could beat it himself. Um, and he made several attempts, several attempts. Um, cause he honestly was addicted to heroin. Yeah. Um, and Some he was buying stuff. heroin. Yes. But he was buying heroin so potent that he could smoke it, which means it was almost pure. Um, so that stuff gets a grip on you, man. Yeah. Like it gets hold on you. And for him, it wasn't, the use, it wasn't the continued use. It wasn't using it for fun. He ended up just keep kept using it because he realized I've used this for too long. If I make an attempt to stop, these withdrawals are going to tear my body up. And I remember one night he called me. He was like, hey, can you just come stay at my house for the night? And I was like, something, yeah. something going on? Like, what's going on? Like, do I need to bring my friends? Like, people from my department? Like, do I need to, you know, something going on? He was like, no. No, no, no. 
just just come by. So I went by. He was like, I'm going to be in my room. No matter what you hear, stay out here. If you hear the screaming stop or the sound stop or the moaning stop or the pain stop or whatever, call an ambulance. And I'm like, bro, what's going on? And he was like, I'm kicking it. I'm kicking it tonight. I'm not doing it no more. I'm done with it. And he laid there for hours just crying out in agony because he felt like I can beat it. And come the morning time, he was like, man, I don't know if I could do this. And I was like, no, 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 you can, you can do it. You can beat it. You know, it's, you started it, you can stop. Right. That was all my, that was all my thing. Like you started it, you can stop. And I come to find out he had already used before he came and talked to me. Um, And I was like, damn, man. I'm like, all right, well, you know, I'm always here for you. Whatever you need, call me, text me, whatever. Like, even if I'm at work, I don't care about this job anymore. So if you need me, I'll come running. And to get off the heroin, started doing meth. Don't know who told him to do that. Don't know why he did that. But he eventually did stop using heroin. But now he's up on meth. And I'm like, all right, bro. It's another challenge. Couldn't beat the first one. We can beat this one. All right? Like, and I just keep pushing the rehab thing. But then I was told by someone to stop pushing the rehab thing because it sounds like you're trying to force it on them. And mm-hmm. as bad as I wanted to, I couldn't. He's his own man. This was his fight. He had to deal with it. But I kept telling him, like, yo, I'm in your corner. Here for you, and we would lose touch periodically. You, you got kind of muffled there. Call me. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. I'm good now. Yes. Yes. Okay. Um, he would. He would. We would lose touch, and then I would see him again. And uh, you ever seen the? It's like a meme. It's called Faces of Meth. How it just sort of tears your face up over time. Well, that's that's a common uh, stereotype that it'll make you ugly real quick. Yeah, and it was doing that. Um, it was just eating away at him. And I'm like, man, what can we do? How do we stop it? Like, what, do, what, what can I do for you? Like, you're not just a friend. Like, you're my bro. Like, we, you know, yeah. we met on the job years before like before i became a cop he was my friend so he was around through all of that and i'm like bro you gotta you gotta you gotta kick this shit like it's it's not it's not it i don't even know what you're battling up against as to why you're using right um and he it just it just never stopped it just never stopped it just never stopped and every time I saw him, he looked worse. He was already a a thin guy, but he was just thinner, and he was wasting away. Um, he wasn't eating, wasn't drinking water, juice, not even alcohol, nothing. He was just he would just use and go to work, use and go to work. And I'm like, man, there's something we can do. There has to be something we can do. How did he make it through the day at work? So addicted. That's that's how he kept himself going. 
Like he'd go to work high, he'd be at work high. The second he started to fade, he'd use again. Which was dangerous because he drove a truck. So he's on the road, high out of his mind, with people around him. And that's the part that I kept stressing to him. I was like, oh, just, that part's not just dangerous for you. That's dangerous for everybody. Yeah. Like, I mean, there's, there's kids out here on the road, and my man's high as a guy. And he got in like two or three accidents. Um, luckily, the officers who dealt with him didn't, they just, I don't know if they didn't try or they just wanted to write the ticket and go. But he'd be high out of his mind, and nothing would be done about it. Now, with that situation, knowing that he, he'd had run ins with law enforcement, you even had encounters with him. Do you feel, and cause you can, you know, get arrested for things like possession or mm -hmm. uh, DUI. Would you, I mean, maybe, maybe you would cause he maybe would have still been alive, but would you have wanted to see him get arrested and maybe yes. spend some time getting better? Right. Yeah. Yes. Like the first time he didn't and I knew the officer who stopped him. Me and him had words because I'm like, did you even look at the guy who was in the accident? Did you see anything funny about him? His mannerisms, how he was acting. None of that. Like you just gave him the ticket and dip. Just high on meth. What's wrong with you? Like do your job. Now, part of it is because, you know, that wasn't my friend. So I'm a little biased on it, but I'm like, right. yo, please. If you're doing that to him, who else are you doing that to? Right, just not even doing the job. Like, you got to be better. Be, just be better on the job. Yeah. I honestly would have wished she would have got it arrested at least once. I would have bonded him out, obviously. But I'm like, at least it would have put him somewhere that he can't use for a few hours. Yeah. So when they see that he's in there going crazy, what was wrong with him? Oh, he had a substance abuse problem. What does it get him to the infirmary? as opposed to leaving him in a cell. Let's get him somewhere he can get help. Yeah. Because most judges, especially here, very lenient. Yeah. If they know you committed a crime, and that crime at some point in there was a substance used and you have an addiction, they'll say, you know, we're gonna sentence you to this. Not necessarily jail, but you're gonna go get some help. You're gonna save your own life before you lose it in this cell. And uh just never happened. And be a lost touch for a while. Then we started talking again. And I saw he was just getting worse and worse and worse. Um and then I found out, you know, he had passed away. He overdosed because he had stopped using meth and was just straight fentanyl. Which that stuff, just a drop. Dangerous. Just a drop is all you need. It's dangerous, bro. It's 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 something else, man. Yeah, it absolutely is. So I'm sorry. I'm when sorry I found that friend. out, hmm? I said I'm sorry about your friend. I am too, but I mean, that's the unfortunate thing about life is that we we, we choose the paths that we walk. Yeah. And he just didn't want to deviate from that path. Um, yeah. but 
when that happened, it was at the same time I'm interviewing former men and women of law enforcement. And I'm noticing they're having substance abuse problems as well. Um, as was I. Because I was 100% alcoholic. Like, I was drinking heavily. Which people like, started off. People dismiss that because it's, it's, it's legal. They have Super Bowl ads for it. It's not a big deal. People do it socially. Yeah. So, but also, I think it's a lot of up here as well. Because yeah. I told myself, you know, I have, I have a hard time sleeping. So I told myself I was doing it to go to sleep, right? Yeah. Um, but then it just became a, if I wasn't in my patrol car, there was a bottle within arm's reach. Um, I never came to work drunk or anything like that. But if I was at home, drinking all day. Yeah. If I'm off, don't let me have an off day. Because I probably won't even remember what I did that day. But I know when I wake up again, it's back to the bottle. Um, and I, I started seeing, I can't live like this. I can't. Yeah. Like I just had a friend pass away from an addiction problem. This is just as bad. It's just as bad on the body. It's just they sell it at the store. Yeah. So it's okay. On the sauce. And I know you said during that time, or was that before or after, you started to reach back out to your aunt and and find some sort of solace in those conversations and some some direction and some wisdom yeah um she wasn't always free um she's in the military so okay. well she was she recently retired so you know sometimes she'd be busy and she's also a nurse so she's at the hospital at least 12 hours a day the rest of that you know she's living life or taking care of her military duties yeah um but she is like the spiritual and emotional anchor for when I say it, like my section of the family, meaning like me, my mother, um, which is her sister and their younger brother. Um, she was always there when I needed her. Even when she was busy, she would never dismiss me. She would just tell me, wait a little bit and I'll get back to you. And she would. Um, but she, she's a very spiritual person. That's sort of what drives her. Um, it's her connection between her and who she believes in. So she would often use that to sort of help put me in a better space. Um, not so much being preachy, but more so like, she just kept reminding me like, you have a purpose, you have a task that you need to complete in this life. And you got to live to fulfill it. Yeah. Um, so she was just always, you know, suggesting things. Um, she would always suggest like, hey, you know, hey, you know, instead of doing this, how about you do this today? How about you find something to occupy your time? How about you start going back to the gym? You shoot all the time. How about you start spending more time at the range? Maybe go to an outdoor range where, you know, it takes you a time to get there and a time to get back. So it lessens the amount of time you have to do whatever. Yeah. Um, and that helped. It helped a lot. Um, it helped a whole lot. And because I, I, you know, she's not that much older than me, but 
taking the advice of an elder and all, always works, you know? So that's what I did. I just started occupying my time with things that were self-serving to make me better. Um, and podcasting was one of those things. Having the opportunity to just sit and talk with the homies about certain topics, it killed a bunch of time, you know? And that was what was helping me was eating up of my time. If I don't have time to do this thing that's bad for me because I'm doing something else. Something with purpose. Now, I do right. want to talk to you about the therapeutic nature of what we do and how sometimes sometimes it's for the audience, but sometimes it's for you, you know? Um, but I, I want to ask, because I know in the podcast you've mentioned that you had a relationship that was going really well um, for a time. And obviously, we're, we're all where we are for a reason. I'm sure you're, you're happy where you are now. But do you feel like, and maybe maybe the answer is yes, but at what point in this journey did you lose that relationship and was it directly because of these issues or was it maybe some other uh, things that just came up? Um, a lot of it was because of the job situation. Um, nobody wants to deal with you when you're grumpy all the time. Right. Nobody wants to deal with you when, you know, you've had a bad day. They don't want to catch that straight when you come home, when you come home and, you know, you're talking to them because people do lash out. Um, even if it's not intentional, sure, you lash out. Um, so a lot of it just became like just issues on the job, me bringing them home, uh, which is a pretty common thing, unfortunately, amongst law enforcement officials, because um, they often have strained relationships with spouses or with their children. I don't have any children, so. The, the, strain, the strain relationship with the spouse was definitely a job-related thing. Also, like, you know, just being a generally unhappy person. Nobody wants to deal with that. And I completely understood that. So when when it came to an end, it was cool because we're still really good friends. But yeah. it's like, no, I, I get it. I understand because I started seeing how I was when I came home from work. Um. I'd, you know, I'd walk in the house sluggish, angry, having to process with the 12 to 16 hours bullshit I dealt with before I came in here. Yeah. Um. So, I mean, yeah. It, I mean, and then I guess it just fell apart all together. It was a gradual thing. It was mm -hmm. a, a, over time, it became worse and worse and worse. And when things did, you know, come to an end, it wasn't so much a, Know, I hate you, get out of my life situation. It was more so, this isn't working for you. It's not working for me. But we were friends before. We can be friends again. And I'm like, yeah. Because right now I need I needed a friend more than a spouse at that point. Um, I needed a, just a, a stand-up person instead of being in a relationship with them. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's the, the hard thing about relationships. You know, marriage i'm married and um this guy oh shoot what's his name awesome pastor out of uh dallas now he's a podcaster cool dude i think i know what you're talking about and uh he during a marriage conference that i went to he said marriage is a mirror and you know if you have a, a very serious relationship oftentimes that can be 
similar as in you will see the the issues you will see that your your spouse or or you know if you have a very strong relationship with your significant other they will hold up a mirror and be like you are aggressive you are a bully you are rude you're not being straightforward you're not being real you're rude mm-hmm. you are toxic to borrow the language from the kids you yeah are that's what that's, that's what my girl did yeah that's exactly what my well my that's exactly what she did but my issue was because of how i was feeling about everything can you hear me yeah okay because of how i was feeling about everything just life and job and all of that i took what she was saying as her complaining or her trying to manipulate me or something like that as opposed to the help she was trying to give me Mm -hmm. um and i think that's a lot of the problem is that especially when you're not happy with yourself. You're not about to let somebody else tell you about yourself, That's right. you know? Like if I'm not happy with me, you're not about to sit here and tell me I'm mean or tell me I'm being a bully or tell me I'm being harsh, brash, whatever. I'm, like, I'm not trying to hear that. Yeah. But in reality, it's true. you need to listen. People need to listen. Yeah. Um, especially if it's a person that you're with, which means you trust this person, you love this person. They're not out to do you wrong. They're out to help. But because you're so messed up, you don't see it as help. Right. You see it as something else. You start punching the mirror. Exactly. Now you're hurting yourself. And well, and that's the unfortunate part about what I was dealing with. I never took it to the point where I wanted to X myself out. But the three of the people I talked to last year are gone because they punched the mirror to it broke. And um, I'm happy I never reached that point, but it's a very common thing. It can happen. It does happen. Um, And it's super unfortunate. It really is. But people aren't perfect, unfortunately. So even with help, even with help being there, they don't always take it. Yeah. Um, And that was me for a long time. Long time. I do want to ask about you seeking help right after we Mm -hmm. ask about how podcasting is therapeutic for you or how, if it did help in in any way. Um, But um, because we're not getting a ton of questions, we'll go ahead and ask some of the questions that are popping up in the chat now. Okay. Um, Randy, he said, um, what percentage of officers do you think are self-medicating due to um, job-related PTSD. Maybe there's not a particular percentage that you have in mind, but uh, well, I was going to use the department that I work for as a as an answer because I know specifically. Yeah. Um. Close to fifty percent. It's a lot. Yeah. Now I will say this: it's not always like hard stuff. A lot of the time, you know, everybody smokes weed nowadays for the most part. I don't. Some people do. A lot of people I know do. But there there have been times where 
I'm doing a vehicle inspection or whatever, especially when I was a supervisor, I would always do vehicle inspections. You know, make sure headlights is working, tires ain't bald, you know, things like that. And I would find half smoked joints in the car. Or I find the grinder tucked under the seat and it's full of weed. And I'm like, hey man, what's going on here? Like, I'm not going to. You're not going to take this up the chain, but just tell me what's going on. And a lot of the times it'd be like, man, I'm stressed. I can't deal, blah, blah, blah. I didn't even want to be here today, but I'm like, I feel it. I was like, I 100% feel it. We're going to find another way around this. Yeah. Um, But not this. And not here. Right, because all it takes is one person who's not trying to have that conversation to to ruin their career they never work in this capacity again ever it might it might they might get some sort of legal repercussions if if they want to take it there mm-hmm. yeah no most departments they ruin your life for that yeah because all it takes is for you to have to for you to make a mistake and now it's, it comes out oh he's high on the job and somebody mm-hmm. knew mm-hmm. that's oh. it this PD has been allowing their people to, to, to get high on the job, mm-hmm. on the on the devil's lettuce, of all things. And you know how the news works; they sensationalize everything. So now the story becomes entire department high at job. You know, like <laughs> instead of the the <laughs> the one person that it was, you know? chief of police high on a contact high, mm-hmm. gave us this statement. No, and now we're drug dealers now instead of yeah, for know. real, like. <laughs> and then, and then everybody oh. in the world is going to be like, dang, all the cases you guys have ever worked on, like serious murder cases, things like that. Now the people are getting putting in their appeals. It's like, geez, because mm, all that's getting tossed. All of it's getting tossed. Oh yeah, all of it. Oh yeah, every single bit of it. Oh yeah, it's uh, bad for business. And now you're in their spot because you're going to jail. And I, I heard uh, cops don't do so well in jail, depending on where you go. Which oh doing. no, no, it's not. It's not a. Uh, it's not good, especially when they find out. Because they find out before you get there. Jeez. Because somebody didn't pass off some paperwork. So by the time you show up, they already know what you look like. They know you're going to Gen Pop. You'll be there maybe a week. And then they'll be calling your family telling them what happened. So there was another question that just popped up. Um, but are there any regular mental health trainings or resources that are available to officers regarding, I guess, yes. the stress of the job? The, um, well, yeah um there are things available uh but then again at the end of the day it's up to you to want to help yourself you have to want to go you have to need to talk to someone uh typically it's in like a human resources department yeah um you have to go to want to talk to them and say hey life isn't so great can you help me out you know, now, and most people don't want to do that because they don't want people in their business or right. they don't want to get judged or they don't want any kind of repercussions because you don't want to tell the department therapist that I've been having these thoughts. I keep hearing these voices, blah, 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 blah. And now the next thing you know, you're on traffic duty, like you're doing church traffic or, you know, you're yeah. sitting at a desk somewhere because they don't think you're safe for the job, right. you know, even though they're not supposed to disclose like, that like, stuff to anybody else. 
it's like there's like a punishment almost for being honest and yeah and yeah my uh, i have plenty of family members including like my immediate families like brothers and sisters who have been in the military currently serving and i worry about them and for for other siblings who want to go in who if they're ever having a bad day or if they're dealing with a series of bad days or bad weeks or bad months i mean you've been there you're not really allowed to admit that you're having a bad year nope. or more than a bad day because, oh, you're having a mental health strain, concern, mental health issue. Oh, you're having thoughts. What kind of thoughts? Oh, anything more than, ah, I my, my back hurts. And, uh, you know, they could discharge you if, if they want to. Make mm -hmm. sure, you know, make sure you can never own a firearm, all, all sorts of stuff. Um, mm -hmm. And I'm and I might be I might be speaking uh, a little bit above my my understanding, but it's it's always been understood. And I've had some guys who have gone through some stuff. Some guys who got back from uh, overseas, Afghanistan, Iraq, who they could not talk about it because they knew they would not have a job because of the type of work they do. You can't you can't be loose. You can't have any sort of loose screws per se, and not to be crass or or disrespectful to people who are struggling with their mental health. You just can't. And I imagine it's similar based on what you just said, where you know maybe it's fine for a little bit, but word gets out, they start telling people. If it's real bad, maybe you can speak to that better than I. But yeah, if it's like it's like. Me, I, I kept it to myself. If I went to seek help, I did it outside of the department um, because personal matter at that point, mm -hmm. there's nothing they can do about it. Unless my therapist was to call up my job and say, hey, I was talking to Trevor. He's not doing too great. Um, told me he had a situation where blah, 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 blah. And when I, now I, I come back to work and I'm, I'm detailed out to some post somewhere right away from people well fortunately when you go private um and this is common knowledge unless you are literally a danger to yourself or others and maybe a therapist might assume that with your type of job that you're in mm. they can't say anything it's we're not supposed to anyway you know they lose a license yeah potentially um that said uh, another question came in um, asking about regular evaluations to see if maybe you would need to use said resources. Are there mental health evaluations for police officers? I mean, it's a serious question. It's just a series of questions. How are you feeling today? You doing all right? That's pretty much it. <laughs> so much basically it. It was... what, what I get when I go to work, hey, how are you doing? You feeling okay? Yeah, okay, bye. It's basically like that because they don't want you to say, well, here's what's going on. No. No, 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 no! Don't, don't tell me that. I mean, but, me that. I mean, on a, on a serious note, people people do that in, in regular society. You you see mm -hmm. uh, somebody you haven't talked to in a little bit. Oh man, how you doing? You better say good. <laughs> God forbid you say you know what. Because they're not asking to know. It's just being right. nice. Right. <laughs> this is this is just me being polite. Like, don't actually say anything other than doing all right. Or I've had better days, but don't worry about me. It'll be all right. Like that's that's the hard part. That's the hard part. Yeah, but it was basically a series of questions that would uh 
they would consider an evaluation. Like, I don't know. It's, I mean, they were serious questions, but it was just questions. It wasn't, yeah. you know, come and sit down and talk to somebody or, you know, none of that. It was just someone would come to you with a clipboard. They'd run down the questions. And they'd take that somewhere to somebody. Depending on how you answer those questions, later on in the day, you'd be pulled or whatever. But other than that, it was just serious questions. Yeah. So, um, we, we basically answered this already, but Cami Frank, who just popped in, thank you for your question. Just asked if there is a, a stigma around, uh, using department resources and that's why people don't use them. And you, you've more or less answered that saying, yes. Yeah. Um, that if something did get out that you would basically be moved to a different department or, or, or a different, um, detail or job. And then it would just kind of derail your career or at least the next few months and kind of make your job mm -hmm. not fun. Um, but thank you for that question. Um, now regarding the joys of podcasting, which is, it's a mm -hmm. job. It's, it's actually really stressful. If people don't know, I'm not yes. complaining. It's one of the coolest jobs in the world. Just getting to sit down in front of a computer and, or sit down in front of a human being and just have a conversation record it and then show it to my friends uh, or the people that I meet online. I mean, that's cool. That's, that's an awesome experience, especially if you're like you and I, and you, you genuinely enjoy being able to share. But I know for me, oftentimes it can be somewhat of an escape and I'm, I'm admitting this out loud. Maybe I shouldn't. Um, and it can be kind of, kind of this thing where it's like, man, if I'm having a bad day, I don't have to worry about any of that any of that, I'm just worried about this. I'm worried about the hard work that right. goes into making sure that this is an enjoyable conversation for other people to listen to, but also right. uh, um, make sure that you are able to share with me and that maybe I share something with you and there's just, it's just this, it's just this. None of that noise, right. it's just this. How is it for you? Well, for me, when I started doing it, because I was doing it with a friend, it was really great. Um, my homie Eric, he, uh, like, we sort of had like a meeting of the minds um, at some point because he wanted to do the same thing. And I'm like, bro, I want to do the same thing. And he was like, well, we don't, why don't we just work together? And I'm like, shit, dude, why not? So we did. Um, and it was great because one, I got to see the homie periodically. Two, we were just meeting great people. And it was just at random, uh, which would, made it fun for me because I don't know these people, but we had a great conversation. Absolutely great conversation. Um, perfect example, I, uh, me and Eric, we met this guy, his name is Riley. He is in that, like the shoe reselling business. Yeah. Um, yeah. One of those resellers, you know, that mm -hmm. upcharge everything. Yeah, um, boy, shoe game. He, yeah. But he, you know, he, he does pretty well for himself and us meeting him was out the blue, literal, just happenstance, just out the blue. And that turned into one of our best episodes. I bet. Just I mean, that's, sitting that's there interesting. with him. Right. Yeah. Just sitting there talking with him about, I, I bought a pair of shoes from him. Like just, just, just off of how good the episode went. Like just, just talking to him was, it was great because Eric was into vintage clothing and for the most part people who do who resell shoes they're looking for older stuff 
things that you can't find anymore. I think they refer to it as dead stock. Um, and so that's where those two clicked together. So, and that, it was just great. And I'm like, see, this is, this is, that's what I needed at the time. And mm -hmm. I'm like, we got to stick with this, especially because I was, I was literally looking for an escape from my job. Um, and I was like, if I can turn this into something, I'm going to work on this so I can get away from the other thing. Yeah. Um, and that's basically where I was at. And it was great. That's what was great. But even though I was happy doing this, this you know, podcasting was only three or four hours out of the day. Because I know 20 hours to go. And I was still working that job. So, excuse me. It was just not working out as I thought. Um, but towards the end of like the first run of the podcast, things were even out for me. And I mean, there's a bunch of episodes we did that haven't seen a lot of day. Um, probably won't. But just Sorry, I think, sitting I think there your recording, hands on talking the about it. Yeah, I think it switched over to your phone and your your fingers covering the mic. That's what that's what's happening. Got you. Uh, yeah, I think I actually only have one episode that I haven't released, just because it just went kind of weird and. I'm not really going to get into it, but it just didn't go the way. I know what we're talking about. Well, there you go. Um, you must have been, you must have been listening. I, it was weird for me too. Yeah. It was, it was very weird for me too. Yeah. So there, um, you know, it's, it's just interesting kind of being in the situation where it's like, man, you're, you're making new friends and this is like a, a, a I know you're an introvert, so. Yeah, one of the best ways the to part. communicate with people is just kind of like in a one-on-one in -on -one or a two-in-one setting. It's not a bunch of people around. You can have these conversations. You can share it out the world. It can, you, can, you can give back to the world. You don't have to think about work. You don't have to think about right. all the stuff that you had to deal with. And, and if you do think about work, you can you know, make it a constructive thing and kind of add to the conversation. And uh, I think there's something cool about that. Do you, and I, I think you already answered the question, but I, I'll ask again. Do you feel like that was therapeutic for you in, in a way that was really beneficial because I know you said eventually you had to stop doing the podcast because it was just kind of too much. Absolutely. It was because for me, it was, it was just so it didn't, even though it is much, so it is work, but it didn't feel like work. Yeah. And I think the part that helped, the part that helped me the most was having a friend there. Yeah. It was because it was just feel just kicking it with the homie. It wasn't, you know, nothing out of the ordinary. It's just a regular day. As far as I was concerned, for that portion of the day. It was just a regular day. I'm not having to deal with all the other crap. It's just me and him talking. Yeah. Does it happen to be microphones and a computer and a boom and lights in the room? That's awesome. You know, it's little extras that you know in your mind you make them go away but other than that it's just it was just me and the homie so it yeah. was great so let's let's talk about i suppose the the reason why you had to have a return is you left you know you're going through some stuff quit your job i'm not sure if it was before or after um but you left the police work you left podcasting for a minute and you came back 
and it's better than it's ever been before. Just straight up, I like this new thing way better. And I appreciate it. I, I just I just really appreciate it. If y'all have not heard the episode, go check it out. It's it's really deep, really raw, and it's maybe maybe it's just me, but I I got a lot out of it. And that's why I really wanted you on. It's because I'm like, yo, this we gotta we gotta break this down. We gotta talk about this. We need the director's cut commentary um about everything that happened. Why'd you leave? Um I might put out I don't mean to cut you off. I might put out a longer version of it because that looked like the third or fourth take because I kept having these like just moments of like realization. Yeah. Um, and you know, the, the worst thing that could possibly happen on the podcast is dead air. Um, yeah. And I had a lot of dead air. So I'm going to, I'm thinking I might cut that down and put out a longer version of it one day. Because um, realistically, I was talking to myself for like four hours. <laughs> I understand. So I, I've, I've yeah. been there before. You're trying to record something and you realize you recorded for an hour. You got an hour's worth of footage for three minutes of conversation. And you're like, is this, is this do right. I just suck at this? Is this... <laughs> so I think I could cut it down to maybe two and a half hours or so. But um, yeah, that along with this, I write a lot. Really? Okay. Um, um, like I don't post a lot on my Instagram. There's maybe like eight posts, and one of them was a promotion for this. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, and but there's four posts. There's maybe five posts there that are excerpts from things that I've written. I've, just to... I've, I've seen some stuff where it's like this is some sort of writing. Where is this from? Is this something he found somewhere? Is that he just thought was deep? And I don't know how you're gonna take this, but if someone looks at your Instagram. And then has a deep conversation with you about more than just, you know, the weather. Those are two different people. Have you noticed yeah. that? Yes. Yeah. I don't know. It's I like, like a, you should be yourself. It's it's a it's a dichotomy for sure. Yeah. It's like there, there's um, some stuff on there that's funny. There's some stuff on there that's kinda like uh sad boy meme vibes. There's some stuff on there that's like, you yeah, know, the typical <laughs> dude bro stuff, and then it's like this is a different guy. This guy is like incredibly deep, very insightful. Like he, he's something more than what his social media would say he is. Mm. And I, I hope that's the same for everybody. I hope you're more than your social media, but that's, well, yeah, uh, that's the, that's the thing. Like for me, yeah, social media is great, but yeah, I live out here in the real world. <laughs> so, uh, this is where I spend most of my time living, not on social media. Um, yeah. Like a lot of people know, I'm very much so into guns. Um, I hold my Second Amendment rights very deeply. Yeah. No one's ever seen my war chest. I don't know if I've seen not a single gun from you. Like to be fair, which is which is fine. You don't have to see a man's guns to know he's to to respect the fact that he's about it. But you know. Exactly. Um, no one's ever seen the car I drive. No one's ever seen the house I live in. No one's ever seen anything personal to me unless I decide to show it. Yeah. Um, or if I'm, you know, if it's, if I deem it necessary, because Instagram is Instagram, Twitter is Twitter. I'm on TikTok, but I don't repost. Those places are just for fun for me. Um, because I, I've, I've always just been thinking, it's like, you know, 
when I go away, it's not the people that's going to be there that are going to cry for me. It's the ones in the world, the ones that I know, the ones that see me every day, the ones that I get to speak to, the ones that I get to touch, the ones that I get to hug. Those people are the ones that I need to be focusing my life on. Because so, that's it. When, I, when it's time for me to exit out, they're going to be the ones crying for me. They're going to be the ones carrying my casket, not so, social media folks. You're, you're absolutely correct. Um, there's a lot of people who kind of disappear off social media. I've gone through my messages and I see accounts that are gone, whether it's deleted or Instagram took it down mm -hmm. because, you know, IG is going to IG. Well, that also happened to me. My account was deleted. <laughs> I forgot to, I didn't really talk about that because like, I didn't care too much. Right. Um, yeah, my account got deleted, like for no I, reason. And I, I was thought like, so. I thought we had a conversation then it was just gone. I was like, that's weird. Yeah. Yeah, because I'm like, someone texted me. And it was like, yo, what you did? And I was like, huh? I was like, what you mean? Like, Instagram's gone. And I was like, huh? Oh, well. Didn't care that much. Like, I'm like, okay, well, I don't, that don't stop my day to day. Right. Um, I well, need that much. It's just one less app on my phone. I'll, I'll say this. And the, the interesting thing is, you're absolutely right. But in this new wave of podcasting, because before when you were podcasting, I would say it was more about the others, more about kind of the, the relationship between you and your host. And then if somebody else was involved or, you know, if we're talking about a specific situation, but this last episode was entirely personal. It was an, was an entirely mm -hmm. sharing experience, vulnerability out the wazoo. How do you, I guess, trying to find the word where does that where does that fall into balance of like oh social media that's just socials podcasting wh what is podcasting for you is that is that an opportunity to share with others is, it, is this yeah an extension of the family like, what is this that's my way of just because like i said i'm very much like you know i'm very much an introverted person yeah. um but i can sit here talking this mic about a topic or whatever and if i think it sounds good it's going to go out so and with things going forward will be very personal every everything from this point on is basically going to be specifically my thoughts and views on things not so much as a social commentary yeah but as a how does this affect me because hmm. that's, in general, that's interesting like for example, my the next episode I put out, I've already had the title for it. It'll be titled Artistic Integrity. Um, because expression, especially through the arts, very important to me. Um, a lot of people don't know this, but I grew up playing instruments. I grew up playing the saxophone. Um, hmm. which, which one? Alto saxophone. Alto sax, okay. Mm -hmm. there you go. I had an audition in a very strategic uh, school. Realized I wasn't as good as I thought I was. <laughs> so it didn't, didn't go too great. But um, the expression of being able to get out what's in here through the instrument was important. And like I have friends who are artists. They work in various mediums. Mm -hmm. Their way of expressing themselves through those mediums is important to me. Because there's always something that we hold back, that we keep from everybody else. 
But when we do let it out, it's like indirectly through something. Um, podcasting is it for me. Because mm-hmm. I would never let these thoughts out unless I'm asked. But now that no one's asking me and I get to just speak of my own free will about it, I'm going to let it out. Now, so, the return. We, yes. we spoke earlier and there was mention of um at least in the podcast at the return you talked about seeking help yeah and you you mentioned to me that podcasting was a way of of acting out that help let's talk about that a little bit i guess the best way to put that would be at least in my life when people inadvertently want help or need help, they'll say it, but it's always a backhanded way. Um, and I feel like that way doesn't get you results at all. You gotta be very forward, um, especially in these times. Um, you have to be direct with what you want to say so that no one can misconstrue what you're saying so that no other opinions can be formed on what you're saying got to be direct so the return was an absolute direct way of me saying i was down bad bad i needed help yeah i got the help i'm on a different level right now because of that box office hollywood he's back to the fucking moon, bro. Like, <laughs> that's where I am right now. I love it. Um, so, I think a lot of people, I think a lot of people assume you have to have certain things to do with. Really, you just need your phone. Podcasting. Press the record button on your phone and talk into it. Yeah. Get it out. You don't even got to post it nowhere. Just get it out. Because you hold it in, it gets worse, it festers. Like people used to always say, if you hold in your anger, you get a stomach ulcer or something like that. It's, just, it's akin to that. Like the, you hold things in, they fester and they grow. But then when you let it out, it's detrimental to everybody, especially you. Yeah. So I'm I'm, a, I'm just up to thinking that, you know what? Got to get it out. Get it out. And this is where I do it. It just happens to be on things that I think people will want to hear about. I like it. I love it. And I'm, I'm glad that you um, decided to talk about it. Now, if anyone has any additional questions, fire them in right now, because we're, we're kind of getting to that point where we're going to wrap it up. That said, yeah. um, in the conversation, you spoke about a, a specific um, help that you received. You received some counseling. Um, you received yeah. therapy through an app, um, yeah. which I think is cool. I think it's cool that you were able to get help um, through a specific app. That said, I guess, what what is your message for those who maybe they're going through something like yourself, maybe something different. We all deal with different things. Maybe it's substance abuse. Maybe it's loss. Like you have to deal with the loss of your friend. Um, and And I wonder if you feel any sort of responsibility there, being that you knew about it. And, and did you have to work through that? But speak, speak to that, speak to the person who, who, um, 
is struggling. Um, well, when it comes to my friend who had the addiction, um, he passed away. Well, I found out in December he had passed away two months prior. Wow. And I felt totally responsible for it because I could have made him go to rehab. I could have. It could have went poorly afterwards, but at least for the moment, he would have been clean. I could have taken his drugs from him. I had access to his house. Um, but unfortunately, trust is not something I like to break with people, even if it's in that kind of situation. Um, so I didn't do it. Plus, also, I didn't want to go in there while he was high. Because I could, I didn't, I didn't want to see him that way. One, um, and two, being my friend, I made sure he had armaments to defend himself, and I didn't want to walk into a situation where I may have to defend myself against a high person. Um, so I felt totally responsible for that. But then I realized, like, man, I can't make myself keep feeling this way because. Yeah. We all have our own paths in life to walk. Who you meet along the way helps, but when I get to the end, it's just going to be me. So I got to make sure that along this path, I keep myself as best as I can while people come along the way during the ride. Yeah. Um, Because people come and go, unfortunately. So I just got to, I just said, I just kept, you know, having this mindset of, along with the therapist, they helped me with that, that you got to remember at the end of the day, you was, you all, I'm all I got. I have family, but like my uncle just passed away a couple of days ago. Sorry. People are going to go. Yeah. People are going to go. So I have to make sure I keep myself as best as I can until it's time for me to go. Yeah. So that's how I just, that's how I take things now. Okay. Well, Trey, host of the podcast, Nah, I'm Good Fam. Thank you for, for joining us on this special presentation of Costly Conversations live on the YouTube. And of course, if you're listening on the podcast or the replay, thank you for joining us. Please share it out. Trey, how can people find you, brother? Um, You can find me on Instagram and Twitter, same username, underscore Trey, T-R-E underscore Williams, uh, common spelling, um, underscore after that. Um, I have TikTok, but I don't really use it. Um, in either of those places, Instagram or Twitter, there will be a link to the now I'm good fan podcast. Um, click it. If you like, if you want to listen, not, I completely understand. Um, but I hope you do. I hope that the return and any future episodes, help you somehow um yeah because i know it sounds self-serving but they're all there to help me so i hope that they're can help you um in any way and if you need to reach out to anybody feel free to shoot me a dm anywhere doesn't matter um because i'd rather you talk about it with me than not with anybody else yeah well absolutely they should listen to your episode the return if they want to catch up on your backlog that's up to them as well. 
but I'm, I'm especially uh, excited about the return. And of course, uh, the future episodes where you're, you're taking a, a deeper look at life through the lens of uh, Trey and the Nam Good Fan podcast. I'm, I'm all for it. I'm, I'm excited for your next episode um, talking about art and whatnot. And, and that's going to be cool. That's going to be cool. I'm, I'm glad we got a chance to learn some things about you. And uh, let's go ahead and get out of here.